submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, bring clarity this morning to us and help us understand your word and help us to see that our marriage here points to something far greater than just two people coming together. Help this experience this morning to be worshipful. Help us to understand what your Son has done for us. Amen. Now, if you remember, we've been going through this letter that Paul has written to Ephesus. And the last time we were together, what we saw is what it looks like to be kept filled with the Spirit. And there's an important uh, verse here that we need to realize before we move into what Martin Luther calls the household code. Paul is about to address the household. And, and we see this verse, verse 21, that, that right before Paul transitions, he makes it clear, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oftentimes, uh, verses and those headers that we see are helpful, but in this case, it's not very helpful for us. So we need to remind ourselves or remember this command that Paul gives in verse 21 while we're reading these household codes, what hus- how husbands and wives function, how children and parents function, how masters and slaves function. And we look at this passage this morning, and we think, what a passage to preach on, huh? Gender roles. Rules between wives and husbands. It's an interesting passage to preach on in the 21st century because there is just so much confusion, isn't there? 
There's so much confusion in our culture on these roles, and, and I think the culture has it right that it stems back to the family. The roles between husband and wife. Let's think about it like this for a second. Say you worked at Kimberly Clark. And a rumor starts to spread. Hey, did you hear about that janitor who walked into the boss's office, the CEO's office of Kimberly Clark, sat down and said, I'm now the CEO. And everybody just went along with it. He had no experience. He had no schooling or training. Just marched right in there and took the job. (laughs) We would look at that as pretty radical, huh? Why? Because in work, there are functions, there are jobs, there are roles that people play. There are CEOs, there are managers, there are factory workers. And in order for a company to function well, those people need to buy into their roles. Because what happens if it doesn't happen? Well, in a place like that, uh, the janitor would probably get fired. People would be confused. And if that's how the workforce actually worked, then that company wouldn't stay open very long, would it? Now, I don't know about you, but, but I've started to notice that in, in our culture, in America at least, the extremes are getting only more extreme. Let, let, me, let me illustrate it like this for you guys. Uh, one week, uh, the week before Sharice and I went on vacation, um, before bedtime we were talking, and I can't remember if it was me telling Sharice or Sharice telling me this, but, but one of us asked each other, did you read the article of the the woman who said that she wanted to have a child uh, just so she could have an abortion to show that she supports the feminist movement. Uh, One of the extremes. But the crazy thing was, is later in the week, as I'm looking on YouTube and watching a video, there's there's another woman, an American woman, who is, is being interviewed by BBC, and she's saying that, that she believes that women shouldn't be allowed to vote in America. And do you see the, 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 uh, the extremes of the progressive language and the conservative language that is starting to go. And, and let me just tell you, maybe, maybe you're not as familiar with this as, as I am, because it looked like to me that these people were uh, pretty young. And so we're seeing that the extremes are only getting extremes. And why is that? Well, because, as I said earlier, I think what we're seeing and what uh, people are noticing is that the household is imploding. And so here's what I'm hoping for us to see this morning in this hour and a half long sermon. So buckle in. It's for Christians, marriage points to something bigger than us. It points to something better. Let's look at this. Let's look at the first few verses here. As Paul, he specifically turns his attention to the wives and their roles. He, he tells them, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his 
body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is where we might say and ask the question, is Paul a misogynist? We look here and, and we might even say something like, Paul seems pretty oppressive. He's not up to our times. There are some people who will even look at this passage and, and say, there's no way that I could believe in the Bible because the Bible is outdated. Look, here it is. This is an outdated form of the household. Paul is a misogynist. He's oppressive. He's just trying to keep the women at home so that way they can push out babies. But here's, here's the question that I think we should ask ourselves. is, is if, if this was the case, then why would Paul be calling women to submit? If, if women are already being treated as property, which, which is, is more of uh, the conservative view of the time, why would Paul call wives to submit if they're already submitting or being treated lesser than? Well, uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, there was in the first century this progressive movement that was taking place. There was a, a sexual revolution taking place. There was, there was a, a feminist movement taking place. Here, um, here's, a, here's a letter I, I, I found of a Stoic uh, philosopher writing to his mom. Uh, here's, here's what he has to say to her. He, he says, unlike the great majority of women, you never succumbed to the immorality of the worst evil of our time. Jewels and pearls have not, been, have not moved you. You never thought of wealth as the greatest gift to the human race. You have not crushed the hope of children that were being nurtured in your body. You have not defiled your face with paints and cosmetics. Never have you fancied the kind of dress that exposed no greater nakedness of being removed. What, what's, this, what's this philosopher writing to his mom? Well, during this time in the first century, the, the, the Greco-Romans were experiencing a sexual revolution. The women were getting sick of the boys' club. The wives were getting sick of the injustice of just being viewed as property. And so what was happening and what was taking place is that women were saying, well, if, if, the, men, if, if the men are allowed to commit adultery, if they're allowed to have multiple wives, then let me find a single man. Let me find a married man. Let me start dressing in provocative ways to catch the attention of people. Uh, let's do away with this idea of inequality and let's pursue equality. If the men can act this way and disengage from us, then, then we should be able to act this way as well. And if there are repercussions like we get pregnant, then we'll have an abortion. You see the, the progressive idea of the modern day that Paul is writing to? Of this first century idea of, of, of women need to be liberated. Women need to be free. And so this makes a little bit more sense for us. As we read, as he says, submit to your own husbands. Don't submit to another person's husband. Submit to your own husband. It's not just that there is a sexual revolution going on. It's that women were also involved in civic duties. There would have been, to the extent uh, of what a modern day a mayor would be, there were women who were mayors. There, there were women who were priestesses. Remember, we're, we're reading a book that was written to Ephesus where one of the seven wonders of the world was. Do you remember what, what that seventh, seventh wonder of the world was? It, was? it was dedicated to a goddess. 
the goddess of fertility. Here, just, just one more, because I'm trying to, to prove something here that maybe the popular idea of that it was just a, a, an oppressive society, um, I'm just trying to prove that that's not necessarily the case like we think it was. Here's a, 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 an American archaeologist, uh, Joanne. She, she says this, It's from the greatest sanctuaries of Asia Minor that we have our earliest and most abundant evidences of the commemoration of Hellenist priestesses. With portraits and statues, images of priestesses were erected in sanctuaries all across Asia Minor. So what's Paul trying to say here? He's, he's telling the, the women of this church, don't, don't buy into the, to, to the progressive idea that, that if you're liberated, you'll be free. He's telling them, don't, don't pursue this idea of the progressive family household of the modern time. Don't, don't do it. Run from that. Instead, submit yourselves to your husbands as if they are the head, just as Christ is the head. So here, let me take just a moment, because I think this is important for us to talk about submission and headship. Because unfortunately, what men have done over time is they have taken that word submission and headship, and they have abused those words in order to oppress their wives, to commit injustices against their wives. They've used submission and headship in in, in a way to actually keep them down. What does Paul mean here by submission and headship? Well, simply, submission, what Paul is trying to communicate here is is to follow. Is to, as he says later in verse 33, to respect your husband. So, wives, what Paul is saying is respect your husband. Follow your husband as what? As the head or as the leader. Why? Because, Because Jesus is the leader of the church. Now, here's a question. So, Max... What you're saying is, Paul would say, stay in an abusive relationship. No, Paul's not saying that, because he says elsewhere that you are to follow God, not man. So, so long as your husband is not committing you to sin, or neglecting you in certain ways that Scripture speaks of, you should be following your husband's lead. You should be taking a, a, almost a side seat. You should be sitting in the passenger seat while he is driving. Because as Paul is saying here, the husband is the leader and the wife, she follows the husband. Now, let me illustrate it like, like this for you. One of the books that I was reading on vacation um, was, and, and this just shows how nerdy I've gotten when it comes to now reading. I was reading a book about Tim Keller that just came out about books he read and influences that shaped him. So I literally read a book about a person who read books that helped shape him. So, or people. And, and one of the stories I thought, I thought illustrates this great of what this submission looks like. There's, there's a, a woman, when, when he was in seminary at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary in Boston, there, there's a woman called Elizabeth Elliot who taught a class there. And, and if you know Elizabeth Elliot, her husband was Jim Elliot, one of, one of the most famous martyrs of the 21st, or 20th century. And, and in her class that, that him and his future wife were taking, um, Elizabeth Elliot starts to walk around and, and she says, I, I know more Greek than all of you. I know more Hebrew than all of you. I've suffered more than all of you. I could pastor a church better than all of you, but my conscience and my heart is bind to Scripture. I, I need to submit myself to God's Word, to His commandments, to, to His ways. 
Wives, do you submit yourself to God's word? Do you submit to your husband as the leader? Do you follow your husband as the leader of the household? Now, this is where some of you might be saying, see, so, so you are saying Paul is a misogynist. You, you, Paul is oppressive. Well, not necessarily, because what Paul is doing here too is Paul is actually confronting the conservative view of his time. Because he's going to call husbands into a radical love and leadership that just wasn't seen during that time. The reason why women reacted by this sexual liberation and this, this feminist movement of the first century is because men did see them as objects. They did view them as property. And so what Paul does is he calls the husbands to love their wives in a radical way that's completely countercultural to what they would have known, to what their fathers and grandfathers would have taught them. What, is, what does Paul say? Paul says here, um, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does, because we are members of the body. You see how Paul, he, he's calling husbands to, to uh, love their wives in two ways. Lead your wives, provide for your wives. But how? By actually denying their own self-interests. Denying, denying themselves for the better of their wife. How, how so? Well, he gives us the illustration. So much so that, that the husband, he counts his wife's interests more highly than her own, just as Christ counted our interests more highly than his own. Husbands are, are to take an interest in their wives, not to view them as property or, or just merely as sexual objects who can push out babies to pass on an inheritance. Husbands are to do this so much that, that, that they are to, to see their wives as their own selves. This is how much husbands are to love their wives. Husbands, do you feed yourself breakfast in the morning? Do you love yourself to feed yourself regularly? To take care of yourself? To, 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 to seek rest? You're to love your wives in such a way just like you love your own body because if you don't love your wife this way, it shows a, a massive spiritual implication that's going on in your heart. And so Paul, he's trying to confront the idea that, that your wives just aren't property. Your wives aren't just bargaining tools. Your, your wives just don't push out babies for you to pass on your family's name and heritage. Instead, what happens is you sacrificially love them by leading them and providing them. Let me, let me try to illustrate it like this for us. I think this might be a, a helpful illustration. There's a show that Sharice and I, we like to watch. And in this show, uh, what happens over time, um, a husband and wife, uh, a guy, a woman, a man, woman, they, they meet in the place that they work, they fall in love, they have kids, and what happens is the husband gets an opportunity to, to, to create a startup business that he thought of back in, back in his college days. 
And so he starts to work part-time at this office that he works at while he's traveling back and forth. And what's happening while this is going on is his wife is starting to feel neglected. They're starting to argue more. There's tension that you can see in in the show starting to, to build up. There's temptation to walk away from husband. There's temptation to walk away from wife. There's, there's animosity that each other are feeling. It's getting to the point where, where they say, do you really want to argue? Do we really want to do this again? And, and, and I think this is radical that, the, that, that in this show um, they didn't do this. What they didn't do is, is they didn't do what, what popular culture says normally happens. Well, I have, I've just changed now. I've, I've changed now, and so we need a, a divorce and, and go our separate ways. Uh, I'm, I'm adapting. My passions and your passions are no longer the same, so it would be better for us to separate. No. What do they do? Well, what we see them do is, is first the husband takes a step. He takes a step and he says, I'm, I'm going to give up the startup business. I'm going to give it up. And he's talking with the boss of the, the, the job that he first started working at before doing his startup business, and this boss asks him, why did you do this? And he said, I love my wife too much. And, and the boss, he, he, he looks at him and he says, well, I just have to commend you because there are no CEOs or people who start up businesses that I know of in, in my world that would, that would give up all of that for their wives, let alone give up golf on a Sunday morning to, to spend time with their wives. You see the, the, the nature of, of this character in this show, giving up what he cherished most because his wife was more important than that. His wife was suffering. His wife needed attention. His, his wife was feeling the effects. And what did he say? He said, I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to give it up for her. She needs this. She's suffering. She, she needs my love and she needs my care. This is the type of love that, that Paul is now calling husbands into. He's calling husbands, don't disengage with your wives when you get home from work. Don't just sit down in front of the TV. Don't just go to the basement and fiddle with tools. Don't just go out fishing. Just don't turn on the PlayStation or, uh, here I'll call myself out, the Switch and play games. Don't disengage with your wife, husbands. Pursue them. So this is the ideal that Paul sets forward. This is, the, this is the marriage that as Christians we move towards, not away from. This is, this is the, the type of marriage that Paul is trying to, to show us. He's, he's showing us this progressive idea of just liberation and, and self-autonomy isn't the way, but he's also showing us that, that this conservative idea of the family of just women shackled or, or almost slaves isn't the idea either. He's actually showing us something better. He's showing us the ideal of what marriage is supposed to look like. But you don't have to be a child long enough or you don't have to be married long enough to notice how hard that is to live out. You could probably point to your parents' relationship and and see all of the flaws of how they failed at this. You, You could probably look at your own relationship and see how it's failed. Why? We see the ideal here and yet it's so hard to live up to, isn't it? It's hard to live up to because this is the effect of the curse. And this is what marriage teaches us. This is what marriage quickly teaches us, is that my spouse is not perfect. My spouse does have flaws. And that's because we still live under the curse. The 
curse, it still affects us. In Genesis 3, 15 through 19, God curses Adam and Eve. How? By telling the woman, your desire will be to lead over your husband. Husband, you will work and it will be hard. And what are the effects of working hard? Dis- disengagement. I'm going to come home and disengage because I'm tired. I don't want to listen. I don't want to talk. I just want to disengage and do what I want to do. It's because of the curse. It's because of the fall. It's because of the, the sin in our hearts. So, so this is what happens. Every time that we fail to live up to the standard that Paul presents, we are reminded that we're under God's judgment. We're under his wrath. We deserve his judgment. We're sinners. We fail. We don't live up to the standard of perfect submission, of perfect denial. And so what happens? What happens is we, we create ways, we, we create things of, of looking for that perfect spouse. We think of things like soulmates. If I just find the perfect one, we, we tell ourselves, then marriage will be my fairy tale. But what happens? Well, in society, what happens is, is that as you, you get married and you start to realize that your spouse isn't perfect, there's animosity that starts to be built up. You're not fulfilling my needs. The relationship ends up becoming conditional. I thought if you did this for me, then I would do this for you. But since you're no longer doing this for me, then I'm not going to do that for you. But that's not what Paul is saying here. What else? We, we, we look and we tell ourselves, you know, if I just find the person with perfect interests, if I just find somebody who I'm sexually compatible with, if, if I just find somebody who I have the same interests and the same goals, then marriage will be fulfilling. Then marriage will be perfect. And, and, and Sharice and I, we couldn't help but laugh and chuckle at this. Um, on vacation, the first week, the boys went up to Sharice's parents' house. And what we did the whole entire week is we just read. Now, if you know anything about Sharice and I, when, when Sharice and I first got together, uh, reading, we didn't read at all. I don't think we even owned a book in our house. That's maybe a little too extreme. But we didn't read. What if we got married, and this is, this is actually what our youth pastor said when he was doing our marriage, uh, our wedding ceremony. He, he, he said, you know, what happens if, if Sharice says, Max, I will continue to love you if you do this. Or, or Sharice, I will continue to love you if you continue to do this. What happens if Sharice were to tell me, Max, if, if, you just, if you just decide forever just to care about sports and never anything else, then, then I'll stay married to you. We, we wouldn't be here now. And yet this is what happens in culture when the disillusionment that my spouse isn't the perfect one happens. What happens is, is we look at it and we say, well, we've just drifted apart. We've changed. We've, we've grown. We're no longer combati- compatible. We no longer have the same interests. And why does this happen still? If, if this is the ideal, and this happens as, as Christians too, doesn't it? Why does this still happen? Because we're looking for the perfect spouse that we can't find here on earth. 
husbands, your wives, they're not the perfect spouse that you need. And wives, your husbands, they aren't the perfect spouse you need. You won't find that perfection in them. You see, this is what Paul is, is trying to draw out. We, we see this, this key here in, in verses 31 through 32. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Why does Paul, out of nowhere, just quote Genesis 2.26? Because he's, he's telling the wives and the husbands, Jesus is the better spouse. He's, he's telling this church, he's saying, uh, nobody would have ever guessed that Adam and Eve's marriage was supposed to represent something greater than themselves. He's, he's telling them, husbands and wives in this, this church, your marriage represents something greater than yourself. What is it? Well, he, he says, it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus is the better spouse that we need. Your spouse won't satisfy you. Your future spouse won't satisfy you. They can't. They won't. It may be good for a little while, but hard times will come. But Jesus can. Jesus can satisfy you perfectly. Look, Jesus perfectly submitted to the Father's leadership. He shows us this. I think we get this best picture. We get the best picture in in Philippians 2. We get the the perfect picture here as as Christ submits to the Father's leadership to the point of death, even death on a cross. But why does Jesus perfectly submit? Well, Jesus perfectly submits because of his love for us, which is a profound mystery when you think about it. Because we are the unlovely bride. This is the point of of the prophet Hosea. We are constantly committing adultery on God. We need the perfect bride, and yet our hearts don't long for the perfect bride. Our hearts don't look for the perfect bride. We think that momentary satisfaction will, will ease the pain that we're looking for, and yet it doesn't, does it? That's why Jesus shows us he's able to perfectly submit and perfectly love just like our hearts long for. I mean, it's, it's, as I was meditating on this, I couldn't help but just think, we're the prostitutes. We're the adulterers. We're the one that's constantly bickering at Jesus and telling him how we don't want him around, and yet, because of his love for us, he continues to pursue us. Because of his love for us, he continues to move towards us. Because of his love for us, he doesn't leave us where we are, but instead he swoops down, he picks us up, and he says, I'm going to take you to a better home. Why? Because he loves us. He denies his own interests for us. Do you know this type of love? Have you experienced this type of love? Are you married to this perfect bride or this perfect groom. You see, this is why marriage will never fulfill us like we think it will. It's because we ultimately need Christ and this is what marriage is ultimately doing. Marriage is ultimately pointing us to a better marriage. This is why marriage is bigger than just you or I. Husbands, this is why marriage is bigger than you. Wives, this is why marriage is bigger than you. 
because it shows our relationship to Christ and Christ's relationship to us. It's bigger than... Um, here, let me, let me say it like this. Husbands, it, marriage is bigger than you because the way you love your wife ultimately points to the way that Christ loves the church. Wives, the reason why marriage is bigger than you is because it ultimately points to the church's relationship to Christ. This is why it's b- bigger than us. Because your marriage displays the relationship between Christ and his bride and the bride and Christ. If you catch this vision, you'll have a better marriage. It may be hard. You may have wintry patches. Your spouse may be cold and distant but you'll still be able to fulfill the role that God has given you to display your love. Wives, if, if, if your husband is cold and distant and not loving you like, like Christ loved the church, you still have the opportunity to display the church's love for Christ. Husbands, if, if your wife is, is distant and cold and cold to the things of God, you still have the opportunity to, to display Christ's love towards the church. This is why it's bigger than us. So we can have a better and more fulfilling marriage. We can have a better fulfilling marriage if we understand that marriage is bigger than us. That marriage points to Christ and the church. He's our great example. The church is our great example. Do you see how this is bigger than you? So, how, how can we then practically live this out? What are things that we can, we can do to display this love more clearly to the world? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear, um, I'm going to speak to three different people. Husbands, wives, and singles. And in singles, I want to I speak to those who maybe are widows or widowers, or those who are currently single and ready to mingle, or those who have just decided that the single life is what God has called me to. All right? Husbands, how, how are you able to best display or love your wife like this? I, I think a good model is to take a look at how Christ loves his disciples. How does Christ love his disciples? Do you, do you ever see Christ demeaning his disciples? Do you ever see Christ asking his disciples to be somebody they're not? Does Christ ever present himself as a dictator where his disciples are slaves? No, why? Because Christ loves his disciples. So how does Christ lead his disciples? He, he sets the vision for the disciples. He says, here's the mission, here's the vision, here's where we need to go to. And then he encourages the disciples along the way. He, he looks at the disciples' giftings and he encourages their giftings. He doesn't try to snuff their giftings out or, or tell them, no, you can't do that. He tries to fan their giftings up. He encourages their giftings. He, he never asks a, a, a single disciple to no longer um, be themselves, be the personality that they are. Through sanctification, that might change. But he never asks the disciples to necessarily change who they are. 
He says, come along and, and, and let me lead you and, and show you how this is done. Husbands, lead by example. Like, like this. If you're asking your family, if, if times are tight and you're asking your family to tighten up on the purse strings, or if you're asking your, your wives to, to tighten up on spending, then you better not be at the store buying tools. Lead by example. Engage with your wives emotionally. Listen to their needs. If your wife is sick, take time and care for them. Spiritually set the pace. When I was in college uh, my senior year, I remember sitting down with a professor and asking him, what's the best way that I can help lead Sharice? And I think his answer was great. He, what he told me was, he said, Max, um, it, it depends on your wife. Some wives, they need their husbands to come alongside them and to encourage them in such a way where they say, hey, let's sit down and read the Bible at this time together. But other, other wives are able, they just do it. And so he said, so my, my wife, she every morning gets up and so reads the Bible. And so what I do is I ask her, hey, what are you reading? How is God changing you through that? Husbands, you set the spiritual temperature in the house. Take an interest in your wife's spiritual condition. All right. Wives, let's look at the disciples and how the disciples responded to the leading of Christ. We see that the disciples, they, they submitted to Christ. How? They, dis- they submitted to Christ first and foremost by receiving his love and care for them. They submitted to Christ by not looking for another Messiah or man to lead them, but to Jesus to lead them. Look to your husband as the leader. Follow his lead. What else? Provide encouragement. Provide support. Provide input. If there's something going on, don't shy away from saying it. Provide input. Provide feedback. The disciples did this. Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And they gave him feedback. They gave him input. Resist the temptation to take control or to take leadership. Resist the temptation to belittle your husband, to undermine his leadership in front of your kids, or to complain about him either in front of him or behind his back. Look, if you're complaining about your husband behind his back, there is bitterness and resentment that's being built up. Be careful. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Singles. It's amazing that this passage, it points to ultimately the churches or your relationship or your marriage with Christ currently. So you may have gone through this whole message saying, this isn't about me. 
this is just about wives and husbands, and, and yet don't miss the point that marriage is bigger than any one person. Why? Because it points to Christ's marriage with the church. If you're a Christian, this is you. You are married to Christ. Submit to his leadership. Be a follower of him. Trust his leadership. Let him sit in the driver's seat while you're in the passenger seat. You, 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 will, you will have a better marriage if you notice that it's bigger than you. So husbands, lead your wives in such a way where you deny yourself, where you love your wives as your own body. And wives, submit to your husband. Follow your husband in every way, denying those inclinations to take leadership. And I think this is important just to say one more time. Paul is not calling wives into a relationship of abuse. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. This isn't the submission that he's talking about. The submission he's talking about is looking to your own husband as the leader. As, as almost the, the pace setter of the family and following his lead, respecting. Why? When, when, when marriages resemble these, these two roles, it points to something far greater than us. It points to something far better than us. It points to Christ's love for his bride and the bride's love for Christ. Let's pray.